If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up. First uh, John chapter two. I'm telling you, like three fourths of the room just walked out, and so uh, if you see any adults walking out with them, tell them they're stuck in here with the in the big church. So First uh, John uh, chapter two. If you don't have a Bible and you'd love a free one, just raise your hands, and Tony B will gladly run one to you. That would be uh, our gift to you. Uh, so we are we are walking through. Uh, the epistle of First John. We love walking through books of the Bible because uh, it teaches us a lot of things about not being cowards of the Word. It teaches us a lot about uh, the context through which God is teaching us some of these very important principles in our lives. And, and what we've been doing is, is John has been laying out a roadmap for us to consider as we think through the movement of God in our lives. And, and he, he is determined... Uh, and we see this in multiple places in the Bible. When John is writing, he is determined to, to demystify who God is by pointing his work uh, in sending Jesus. By saying, hey, I want you to see what God has done by sending Jesus into our story. And so he's opened this letter by telling us that, that Jesus is eternal life. Uh, he is eternal life, that he is the way to eternal life, that He is, uh, as we saw last... Is everybody else hearing that squeak? That's WD-40. All right. So, Corbett, we're making this a project next week for Serve Sunday. WD-40, that door. Uh, now we have three locations you can show up to. Um, so so he, he, we saw last week, he, he looked at us and he said, listen, when you think, when you, when you, what you know about Jesus is that He is our Advocate, uh, between us and the Father. And then secondly, He is the propitiation for our sins. And basically what that means is uh, he, he satisfies God's holy law on our behalf. And, and so in this explanation of God the Father, John has also brought into the equation a, a word picture or a description of who God is. And we said that largely as we walk through this epistle, uh, John is going to help us understand God in two ways. And the first way was described in verse 5. He says, God is light. Okay. Now here in a couple weeks, he's going to come in, he's going to say, not only is God light, but God is love. Okay. But right now, we're dealing with the light and the word picture that he brings us. And uh, in fact, he says this, he said, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So not one shade of darkness rest in him and this is important for us because it keeps us from walking in deception because because what we know about light that light and darkness are are contrasting concepts you can't walk in both of them at the same time and this is this is where John lovingly is leading us he's drawing a line in the sand by saying if you claim you are walking in the light while you're living in the darkness he he uses a really um uh a really big word. He says you're a liar. He says you're a liar. You you aren't and you're not fooling God for one nanosecond. You're not doing it. And but but if you are, as he says, if you are walking in the light truly, you have fellowship, uh, not just with fellow believers, but you also have fellowship with God through Jesus. And then last week he helped us uh, by by telling us that his desire is that we would not walk in sin. He goes, I'm writing these things to you so that you wouldn't walk in sin. But then he says, but if you do, 
If you do, you need to know this, that, that you have Jesus. That He is your way, your path to forgiveness. And, and you can lean on Him to empower you through repentance, as, as the famous hymn would say, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. And, and at the end of our time last week, uh, verse 6, uh, we saw Him say these words. He says, Whoever says he abides in Him, being Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. Alright? Let, let's just remember that. So He says, If, if you say you are in Christ, you should walk in the same way that, that Christ did. And this, this principle, it's not novel, it's just practical. Uh, if we claim to know Jesus as both Savior and Lord, then by that declaration our lives should model after the steps we see Him taking and the actions that He produces. That we would bear fruit that would A, be in step with repentance, but B, would look like Jesus. And, and so, so where we're at this morning... Uh, can possibly be viewed as the first and the most important step of a life changed by Jesus. That, that John is going to remind us of the importance of a commandment that is both ancient to him, but has had new life breathed into it because of how we operate in this commandment through Jesus. And, and so, like last week, we, we're going to have an opportunity, really, just to be honest with ourselves. Uh, and and be honest with God about the conditions of our hearts when it comes to the things that we say and the ways that we live. Uh, and so this is, this is what I love about the mercy of God as He gives us His Word, uh, because He draws us into that recognition. Let's pray. Father, we come to You and we are, we are thankful this morning for Your Word. We are thankful this morning that You care for us so deeply in Jesus. And I pray as we walk through this incredibly important commandment that we would be reminded consistently through your Holy Spirit how we are to live. Father, we ask, we ask for miracles this morning. Not so that we can experience the miracles, but just so we can see your, you moving in powerful and mighty ways. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Alright, so, so John, John's really good at simplifying the Christian life. He's, of all the gospel writers, he is my favorite. Uh, because he is very direct about, hey, my intention is to help you see Jesus. And so as he talks about the Christian life, he basically says this. You need to, you need to know Jesus, you need to obey God, and you need to love others. That's, that's a full life. That if you are in Christ, if you would know Christ, that you would love God, uh, you would obey God, and you would love others, you are walking in what he would say, the light. In fact, in verse 5, he's concerned about our love for God, and now in, in verses 7 through 11, he addresses urgently our love for, for others. And this is, this is going to raise a pretty important question for us, that, that does John believe a right love for God is a, a absolutely essential for a right love towards our brothers. And what he will say is a resounding yes. It's absolutely essential. Now, now our challenge uh, when we rises in, in that word love, because in our day of age we've, we've cheapened it to a level that 
it doesn't really hold the weight that it should in our lives. Uh, in fact, we, we talk about this quite a bit. Um, we, we don't have a solid view of how love is supposed to flesh itself out in, in our relationships. Because with the same word, uh, I can say that, that I love my wife, uh, but I can also say that I loved baked beans, right? One of those things I want to go on vacation with. Uh, the other I need to take a vacation from, okay? So if you're wondering, I'd like to go on a vacation with my wife, not Bush's baked beans. Um, sure, yeah. Like, let's not get too crazy, right? Um, and, and so, so in our, our present set of verses, what we're dealing with is how Christian love is affecting is affected by walking in either light or darkness. And, and a Christian walking in light, which simply means obeying God, walking in the path of God, uh, is, is going to have a genuine love and a genuine care for his fellow Christian. And so, so, so since the New Testament was written in the Greek, uh, one of the things that you need to know uh, is that the writers had liberty of, of using varying degrees of words that we've just combined. Uh, for instance, uh, this word love. So, so typically in the Bible, there are two different ways that love is described. And knowing the importance of it is, is really helpful. Uh, that, that the first way is, the first word is agape. So instead of seeing the word love, we would see the word agape. Uh, and agape is simply a God-made sacrificial kind of love. Uh, we can't muster that up uh, apart from Jesus. We would have no kind of that kind, we would not have that kind of love in any capacity apart from what God has taught and modeled and told. Okay? Now, the other kind of love is, is philia, uh, which we get, it's considered a brotherly love. We, we operate in that, you know, those moments when you choose not to punch that person. That's, that's philia kind of love. Uh, that's where we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly Love who throws batteries at you if you're a cowboy fan, you know. Um, so, so as, as we as we talk about that, we need to understand that what John is about to use when he talks about our necessity to love, he's talking about agape. He's talking about a love that was defined and modeled by God the Father and shown into our hearts by Jesus, and so. Um, and so, so, but here's what we need to understand. We don't, we don't define love in our own terms because we are very weak and flaky people, right? And so, so this is why John spends so much time in these chapters challenging us to look at the love through which God the Father has treated us with and walk in a way that reflects His kind of love. Uh, and, and so as we read, I'm going to admit uh, that the first part of this is We'll read confusingly, uh, and then we'll unpack it, uh, and then it seems like he kind of waits until verse 9 to really give us something to chew on. So, so let's go. Uh, chapter 2, verse 7. It says this, Beloved, I'm writing you no new com- Now remember what he said, that we would walk in the light, as God is in the light. So he says, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Okay, uh, I don't know if he was intentionally trying to make that phrase out. Uh, he sounds like Pert Halfley from the Parks and Rec, if you ask me. Um, so, so he says this in verse 8. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true 
in Him and it's in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is, and there's a word there I'd like you to, if you like to underline or circle in your Bible, already shining. Whoever says, and this is where we find the meat of our, our lesson today, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Verse uh, 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Right? We understand that's the way it works in the dark, that you can't see where you're going. Right? Is anybody is that a revolutionary thought to anybody in this room? And so, so as we read uh, these five verses, the major topic doesn't really seem to arrive until verse nine, where John makes a connection between our love for God and our love for our brother. Now, now when, what he's reminding us through verses seven and eight is that he's not bringing us anything new to the table. Okay, John brings us nothing new. He only brings us st- stuff that he has heard, which is exactly what Jesus says would happen as the Holy Spirit comes into his, your life. That he will remind you of the things that I have taught you. Uh, and so, but, but what he says is, uh, this new light has been shed on this commandment, um, making it even more personal for us. And so, so what John is helping us understand is how the love of God works itself out in our relationships. Now, here's what you need to know, because we're gonna u- he uses the word brother. Okay? In the context here, I believe that John is writing to the church people. He's writing to some home churches. And so he is addressing a church need. Now, does this mean that we don't show love for unbelievers? No, not at, n- not at all. I think what John is saying, I'm specifically talking to how the inside of the fellowship of the church works. Um, but if we are to proclaim the gospel to a lost and dying world, if we were to help people who are far from God find life in Christ, then love is on constantly on the forefront of that. Uh, and so, so a big part of this is that Christ is the great unifier between us, right? In this room, if you are in Christ, we are not unified on a lot of different areas. We, we're unified in Christ. Now, when we spend more time in getting to know each other, we may stumble into, oh, yeah, we both like these things. But our identity is found in Christ. That, that is how this works itself out. And so, in fact, it says that, that His love binds us in perfect harmony. So, so to have hate for one another is evidence that we don't understand the love of God and we don't understand the love that God has for His church. And so, so John helps us see this play itself out uh, in these verses really in, in three ways. Okay? And he starts in verse 7 and he says that God's love, and you can follow along in your talk notes if you'd like, that God's love has been with us since our conversion. And really, that's, that's, let's just say it this way. So he says in verse 7, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. Right? So, so the old commandment is the word that you have heard. Now we can go back to John chapter 1 where he opens with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And he's referring to Jesus always being there. Um, and I think saying that since conversion, it's really only part of the whole. Um, what, what John is expressing is that uh, we began, once, our, once we gave our lives to Jesus, 
that that commandment rested in that moment. Okay? You don't, you don't level up to loving other people. That once you've experienced the love of God, once you give your life to Christ, that love becomes the manifest of how you live out the rest of your days. And so, and so what he says is that in the moment of your conversion, now we could go back to um, Leviticus 19, right? Everybody loves that whole book, Leviticus, um, and all the rules and all the, the laws. And, uh, and we can hear God tell us about the necessity to love our neighbor and that it should be a priority in our lives. I, th- I think one of my favorite places, though, uh, when we're talking about the necessity, comes in Romans chapter 8. Uh, Ro- I'm sorry, Romans chapter 13, verse 8, uh, where, where Paul says this. And they're, they're talking about debts and things like that. And so he comes in and he says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. It says, For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And here's what we know, we love taking care of ourselves. It says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, okay, that's a big therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law, of what God is calling us to live up to. And now, we have, we have to be careful how we read those words because how we define the word love here is the difference in, in walking in self-made religion and the actual gospel. So, so when Paul tells us in Romans 13 that love is the fulfilling of the law, he's using the same word again, that John uses in the verses we're traveling through. He says, he says, we're talking about agape love, love that is created, defined, modeled by God the Father, that we would have no understanding or inkling to live out this kind of love outside of the incredible mercy of God. And so, so the love we're talking about with the ability to fulfill the law is a reflection of a life that has been touched by the light of God's love. So, so we can't operate in, in philia, love, and expect it to fulfill anything in our relationship with God because it just falls short. Now, let me tell you where that plays itself out. Because we think, we, we think love is a good thing. And so we say, well, if I'm just a loving person, I'm good enough. And the problem in matters of, of how we relate to God is good, goodness has really nothing to do with it because you will never be good enough. And so, so as we walk here, we need to understand that the commandment, love one another, is the fulfillment of God's love. In fact, when, when you love people, uh, let's, let's be honest, if, if you truly love someone, you don't lie about them. You don't lie to them. You don't steal from them. You don't have a desire to end them, right? So, so, so love for God, love for others, motivates a person to obey God's commandments without really even thinking about them. Like, if you have to muster love for someone, there's a problem. You're like, ah, i got to warm up. (laughs) i got to stretch. i got to dig deep today because i got to deal with them. That's not love. That's not love. This is, this, is what, this is what God is talking about, that it should come more natural. In fact, when a person acts uh, out a Christian love, he obeys God, he serves others, because, not because of fear, but because of, of love. In fact, 
Warren Wiersbe put it this way. He says, By nature, an unsaved person may be selfish and even hateful. Uh, and and we, don't, we don't say, oh, that yeah, I know those people. I don't like them. Well, you used to be those people. Okay? So let's cut them some slack. As much as we love a newborn baby, we must confess that the infant is pretty self-centered. You know? Just selfish. Somebody change me. Somebody feed me. Somebody entertain me. Right? That's 38-year-old Brandon right there. The child is typical of an unsaved person. We, we ourselves also were sometimes foolish and disobedient, deceived, serving um, divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. And if you're saying, oh, where is that at? You can go to Titus chapter 3. This unretouched photo of the unbeliever may not be beautiful, but it's certainly accurate. Some unregenerate persons do not display the traits here mentioned, but the works of the flesh... So Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 21, are always potentially present in their dispositions. Then he says this, when a sinner trusts Christ, he receives a new life and a new nature. The Holy Spirit of God comes to live in him, and the love of God is shed abroad in his heart by the Spirit. That's Romans chapter 5, verse 5. God does not have to give a new believer a long lecture about love. Because in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says, for, for you yourselves are taught of God by the Holy Spirit to love one another. So, so a new believer discovers that he now hates what he used to love and he loves what he used to hate. That's the way this fleshes itself out. So, so this command to walk in God's love is not new, but it's having a light shined on it for the world to see. So, so how does the world see God's love and more clearly and it's simply this number two God's love is seen most truly in Jesus and his followers in Jesus and his followers at the same time this is what he says in verse 8 at the same time it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you which is true in him in Christ and it's now true in you because the darkness is passing away the true light is already shining and so so the question is well which is it John is it an old commandment or a new commandment? And the answer is both. It's both. In fact, uh, that those opening words in, in verse 8 are really helpful. It says, at the same time. So, so this old, old command goes all the way back to Moses, but it took on a new character when it came to Jesus. Because what happens is we go from theory to application. We follow the footsteps of Jesus and we always see this. First, it's new and it's true in Christ. And then, as you accept Christ, as the Holy Spirit lives inside you, uh, it's, it's new and it's true in you, in how you walk. And then it's true and it's new because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So, but there's, there's even more to that. That perfect love as revealed in this life uh, and death and the resurrection of Jesus has dealt a blow to darkness. We sang that earlier, right? Uh, we, we, we repeated the words of Paul when he says, Oh, death, where's your victory? Where's your uh, sin? Where, where's your sting? And he says, It's all been removed by Jesus. And so, so Christ has dealt this blow to darkness, and darkness is on the run, and the good news for us is that it can't outrun the light. 
It can't. The light is invading the darkness. And John says it's already shining. And so John 8 will tell us that the light of the world has come. That the king of light and the love is already reigning. And the fullness and the consummation of that reign is just around the corner. And so, so how we love one another gives evidence to this. Okay? Now, this is nothing I'm making up. Okay? I, I, haven't, I haven't unfurled this in the Bible code. Uh, in fact, Jesus comes out in John uh, chapter 13 and he says this very plainly. He's in uh, the setting is in the Last Supper, in fact, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, uh, which we've been, we've been talking about this in our merged student groups, and I love this section. Um, but, but Jesus is looking at his disciples, and he tells them, hey, life is about to change. Things are about to change for you. I'm going to the cross, and they're like, I don't get it. You keep saying you're going, but I can't follow, but I want to follow you. And Jesus starts talking about life apart from him, and then life in fulfillment of him. But in the midst of this, he says, he looks at him and he goes, listen guys, I'm going to give you a new command. I'm going to give you a new command that you would love one another. And so when he gives that to the disciples, he's giving that to us in this room. And so as you look around at some of the people in this room, God's saying uh, you would love them. That you would love them warts and all. He says, love one another just as I have loved you. That's the standard. You must love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What an incredible posture for the church. That when the world would look at you, they would say, they love each other. And that love, that love will walk you into some of the darkest and messiest places in each other's lives, and it will walk you into some of the greatest celebrations that we will ever have. And Jesus says, that's how, that's how people know. Not, not because you own a merged shirt, not because you have a Lord's Gym t-shirt. Now, I don't know if they even make those anymore. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it looks like Gold's Gym, but it says Lord's Gym. Yeah, man, key of originality, right? Just acting like nobody else did it. Um, You realize in the Bible, okay, if, if our pursuit is to be a Christian, to walk like Christ, we never find Jesus in a petty squabble. Never. You never, especially inside the church. Now, now there was conflict that he walked in with people, right? And the beautiful part of what Jesus does is he is in conflict with people that who are actually who are in conflict with him is He models for us how to actually walk through conflict. But His love is always leading. At times it seems like He pleads with the church. Like, guys, you, you don't get it. You, you, think, you think you're defending God, but really you're not. Because if you really knew God, you would know me. And if you knew me, you would operate in love. So in his life, in his teachings, in his death, Jesus is the perfect example of this new commandment. Love one another. And this is, this is what helps to make the commandment new. That in Christ we have a new illustration of an old truth. That God is love and the life of love is the life of joy and victory. And so, so, so here's, here's the novel concept. 
to know about how Jesus walked on this earth, you spend some time reading about Jesus walking on this earth. And so you prioritize a portion of your day, and you open up the Word, and you say, I wonder how Jesus would have dealt with this guy. And you walk through those footsteps, and you watch, and you meditate, and you ask God to help you in these petty conflicts, especially inside the church. So, 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 so how, how is God's love put on display in our treatment of one another? That when we treat one another in the same way we see Jesus treating people, we can know that we're on a good path to help. And then number three. Number three, God's love exposes the darkness of hatred. It exposes it. It identifies that that's, that's hatred. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, it's, it's exposed. The light is showing that. In fact, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Now again, we can, we can try to differentiate. I, I think this is really more universal than it is uh, singular. Um, but he says, whoever hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness, does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So we were in, we were in San Antonio a couple years ago. I guess it was two summers back. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Uh, but have you, have you ever been in those caverns in San Antonio? I don't even know what they're called. Um, Natural Bridge. Thank you. Would you like to give us a tour? Uh, so so we, walk, we walked in this caverns uh, cavern uh, down and I don't know how far it, long enough to where I had to constantly tell Kelly no I'm not carrying you uh, and she was like oh, why don't you love me and I was like well I don't want to carry you um, so well, we got down into this this part of the cavern and they stopped and, uh, and, and he said okay I'm about to turn off the light and this will be as pitch black as humanly possible uh, there will be no light. And he says, I will, will only leave it on. It'll be unsettling uh, because you will, you've, you've been in darkness before, but you've never been in the absence of complete light. And so he turns off the light, and it, it was very unsettling. Like one of those things you're like, I can't see my hand right here. Uh, and, and so he, he leaves it off for about 30, 45 seconds, and then he turns it on, and then everybody screams like junior high girls, like, ah! Like, you know, you wanted the light to come on, and he said, I'm turning the light on, but we're all screaming anyways. Um, uh, and and he, he said something that was really interesting. He said, he says, we only leave it on for about 45, se- we only leave it off for about 45 seconds because prolonged use in the darkness, your your eyes go blind. And he said, within two days, you would, your eyes would lose the ability to see anymore. And so John says this, but whoever hates his brother is, is in the darkness. And then he says he walks in the darkness. He doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. That the longer you walk in the darkness, the more blind you become. And so this, this is a strong contrast that John's drawing, isn't it? That, that he says there's a great difference between living in light and living in darkness. And, and here's the thing. He's not playing games with us. In his love for us, he says, I'm telling you the absolute truth. That verse 9, it says, if you say you're in light, 
you're experiencing the life of God, yet you continually hate your brother, the only conclusion that can be drawn is that you are still in the darkness. That you are. That, that the realm of spiritual death and moral corruption, you still belong to the devil. You do. Then in verse 10, he, he provides this contrast in the mirror for examination. He says, if, if you consistently love your brother, you're continually abiding in the light and you give evidence that you have the life of God in you. And we all say, oh, that's me, right? He said, hold on. Because <laughs> he continues in verse 11. He's like, I just want to make sure you know where you're at. I want you to be very aware of where you fall because he returns to the darkness and he says, if you continually hate your brother, four things are true. That you're in darkness. That's spiritual death. You walk. You live in darkness. You don't know where you're going. He says you're blind. And so in the darkness of spiritual death, there's the absence of love and the absence of God in our lives. And, and tragically, we don't even see it because we've lived in the darkness for so long that we become accustomed to it. So, so we're like blind men in a dark room who have no idea where they are, where they're going, and it's, it's a tragedy. So, Swan, we can start wrapping this up. I think Tristan decided he's, he's like, I'm, I'm out. I'm out. If he comes back in, let's all give him a high five, right? Let's all stand in ovation. Um, all right, so as we wrap up, let's, let's do it this way. It, it's, easy, it's easy to practice what we call the Christianity of words. Really easy to do that. Uh, it, it's easy to sing the right songs, to use the right vocabulary, to pray the right sounding prayers, and through it all, it's really easy to deceive ourselves into thinking that we're spiritual. And this, this mistake it ties us into something that Jesus taught us on the Sermon of the Mount in chapter five, Matthew chapter 5 that, that, that what we say should be true expressions of our character. Should be. Uh, we, we should not need extra words. We shouldn't have to use oaths. We shouldn't have to say, I, I promise. You realize that. That if you have to try to convince someone you're telling them the truth, you've done something in your life that leads them to not believe you. And Jesus says, live in a way Live in a way that you don't have to say, I promise. <laughs> that you don't have to take those kind of oaths. Just be a person of character. And, and, and so, so, so our yes should mean yes, and our no should mean no. And so if we are, if we say we are in the light, we will prove that we are in the light by how we love one another. And so Christian love, it's not a shallow sentiment. It's not a, a passing emotion that we experience uh, when we're together, when this is easier, Right? It's easy on Sunday because at the very least you know you're leaving here in the next 20 minutes and you won't have to deal with us anymore. And so, so Christian love is a very practical thing. It applies in the everyday affairs of life. Just, just consider some of the one another statements. There, um, in the Bible, in fact, there, there are, there's over 20 statements. I'm just going to read you a few. But it says that we would prefer one another, that... We would be of the same mind with one another, that we would not judge one another, that we would receive one another, we would admonish one another, we would edify, we would build up one another, we would bear with one another, we would confess our faults to one another, we would use hospitality for one another. 
In short, to, to, to love other Christians means to treat them the way that God treats them and the way God treats us. And Christian love that does not show itself in action and attitude, it's, it's spurious. And so, so what John is doing in these verses, I believe, is, 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 is what I'm trying to do with you right now. I'm trying to plead with you to walk in health. I'm trying to plead with you not to walk in deception. He pleads that, that we would see Jesus clearly, we would experience God's great love for us, and then we would allow that experience to affect how we treat just one another here. We would get to the place in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that when one struggles, we all struggle. And when one celebrates, we all rejoice. Where's me? I'll wrap up with this. Since the Christian life, the life that is real, is a beautiful blending of something old and something new. That the Holy Spirit takes old things and He makes them new things in our experience. That, that when you stop to think about it, the Holy Spirit never grows old. He's always young and, and He's the only person on earth today who was here centuries ago when, when Jesus lived, taught, died, and rose again. He's the only one who can take the old truth and make it fresh and new in our daily experience at this present time. There, and then he says this, that there are other exciting truths in the rest of this letter. That, but, but if we fail to obey in this one matter of love, then the rest of the letter may well be darkness to us. Perhaps the best thing we can do right now, he says, is to search our hearts to see if we hold anything against a brother or if someone has anything against us that the life that is real is an honest life and the life of doing and it's a life of doing not merely saying it's a life of active love in Christ and this means forgiveness kindness long suffering but it also means joy and peace and victory and the life the love life is the only life because it's the only life that's real it's the only one that's real so maybe that's what we should do Maybe we should spend some time and explore our hearts and see if there's conflict first in this room. And maybe, maybe we start thinking outside of this room. Maybe we've gone to a church before and there's a conflict that we just bailed on. And you realize just bailing doesn't fix the conflict, it just creates distance. That maybe there are people who you've walked with in your life and you need to deal with either forgiving them or asking them for forgiveness. Because here's what John says. If you don't have a genuine love for the people in the church, there's a problem. You have a heart issue. Now how that fleshes itself out in your life, that's up to you. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Please stand with me. See, I tricked you. Now you have to love people. <laughs> As we wrap up, let me make a couple things available. If you need prayer this morning, we want to pray with you. Maybe you are struggling with some of this. Maybe you need just some counsel. There will be a group of people over here. We long to pray with you. Maybe you've never asked Jesus into your heart. We believe He is the way to a right relationship with God the Father. We believe that through faith, we can be forgiven of our sins. We believe that through faith, we can walk 
in the healthiest life possible. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you for your great love. We thank you for your word. Pray that you would draw us more and more into being people who do, not people who just say. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name. Amen.